Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to Rugged Theology. I am Adam Diamond, your host, and today, you've guessed it, we are doing L for a limited atonement. Dave is not excited at all, apparently. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter L. The letter L, and I, I love just, it. I just don't woo. We can do this every every episode. People are going to be like, come on, but no, listen, how often do you get tenure on Sesame Street? Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, we could do a lot of theology like this. You know, uh, on the Trinity, this 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 episode is brought to you by the number three. Oh, no. <laughs> brought to you by the heresy of Arianism. Where <laughs> if you are out there rolling your eyes, you're not on your own. <laughs> <laughs> you are the weakest link. All right, guys. So today, limited atonement. Um, my coffee is all gone. Man. I know. Mine, too. Well, should, should have Sad refilled time. for this one. We'll just Probably. have to go get some lattes later at Starbucks. Or we could totally pause it and go get coffee. Now we're good. Okay. I now I do want an apple crisp macchiato. No, you're macchiato. totally depraved, brother. <laughs> Christ no, makes me good. Uh, so, guys, limited atonement. So this is another controversial one. Uh, this one, I would say this one's even more, from my own experiences anyways, this is the one that gets people more on the go than yeah unconditional yeah. election yeah. well and this is also the one that you know if you're going to run into somebody who's like a four-point calvinist or a three-point calvinist yeah this is the one that almost invariably they'll deny yeah it's funny because as i was going through the points of calvinism myself my own journey uh this isn't one i had i struggled with a whole lot really okay yeah i mean we can get into that later but this isn't one i struggle i struggle a lot with uh unconditional election which we just talked about in the last episode and what we'll talk about in the next one, um, Irresistible Grace. Those were two I really struggled with because it took away that control from me. Right. Uh, so that's something that I wrestled with personally. But anyway, so limited atonement, guys. So, yeah, what what is it? Let's get into that. Like, what What is limited atonement and why do we need to say that it's limited? Okay, first and foremost, I, I want to just kind of say I don't actually like the term limited atonement. Yes, I would prefer to call it something like particular redemption, but it doesn't fit with the system, so it would be like two pip. Two pip. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was a two pip. I have no idea. So. Like, like just on that note, really quickly too. I mean, I, I've done some reading. This is one of my professors when I went to seminary, but Robert Lethem, when he's talking about this, he, and and I think this is a good thing to point out is because in a lot of these kinds of conversations, is that sometimes the language we use to define things can almost like set certain positions up. Absolutely. In not a great way. So I think yep. the whole language of limited atonement versus unlimited atonement kind of does that because by nature, we want it to be un unlimited. Like it just, right. that's what we want. But I mean, you could also flip it as he says, you could also put it in terms of, well, limited or definite atonement versus unlimited or undefinite or indefinite atonement. atonement. And I mean, again, that kind of then puts the the uneasiness more on the undefinite part, right? Right. So there's, just because we use this language of limited or particular or even, um, you know, like effective atonement right. or whatever you want to use, try and get past the initial knee-jerk reaction of, ugh. 
but get into what it actually is saying and what the position itself is. Right. So now yeah. atonement then is the belief yes. in how God has reconciled sinful humanity mm-hmm. to himself. So and and we would say that that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And and I think too we should probably take a few minutes to I mean I know we've done podcasts on things like penal substitution and those kinds of right. things, but I think if anybody's tuning in just to this podcast and they haven't necessarily thought about those other things, we should probably take a couple minutes to just kind of briefly touch on that because that's going to be, at least in my thinking, massively, massively important to how we then, because essentially the question we're trying to answer is what is the intent or the extent of the atonement? Right. But if we don't first get the nature of the atonement and what it is, then it's going to be really hard to figure out what its purpose was. Right. Um, so can you th- do you want me to thumbnail then penal substitutionary atonement if I Yeah, I mean you can't my my very just I'll throw out mine and then you could throw out yours because sure. between both of us hopefully it'll make sense to people. Okay. I always just very simply go penal substitution so penal like the penalty right. and substitution as well substitute so that idea that Jesus when he died on the cross he paid the penalty that we all deserved right and it was in our place it was a substitute so he paid the penalty right. And it was a substitute in our place. Right. There is a just penalty for sin that we deserve because we are sinners, mm-hmm. and Christ pays the penalty. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the cross. So, how is that limited? And then, what? That's that's a word that people butt up against, right? Limited. So, limited to who? Limited how? Okay, and this is going to be kind of an interesting one because. Nobody, nobody Christian disagrees with the point that the atonement is limited. It's just mm. how is it limited? Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I didn't struggle as much with this one. Right. Because regardless, you believe in some sort of limited atonement. Right. Because either you believe, I mean, if you believe that everyone is eventually going to heaven, then you're a universalist, and I don't think you're a Christian. Uh, but if <laughs> well, you have a you have a very high bar to meet with Scripture, mm-hmm. and it's. The scripture's not going to get you there. Right. So either way, it's limited to at least people who believe, who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Right. And people outside of that are not atoned for. Yeah. I mean, I think historically there are, I think, four kind of positions that people take with the extent. There's either the one you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. universalism, Mm -hmm. basically that Christ died for all people and that all people are going to heaven. There's the Arminian position and then the Calvin er, and the Calvinist position, which will I'm sure that's probably what right. we'll spend the bulk of our time talking about. But then there's also like this hypothetical universalism. Again, probably won't spend as much time talking about that. But right. um, you know, the Arminian belief essentially, and I mean I'm being a bit simplistic here, but that that Christ, when he died on the cross, he he made a provision so that people could be saved. Mm-hmm. Um right. kind of like based what we talk about, you know, if they have faith kind of thing. Yes. Um versus the Calvinist position, the the limited, you know, the fact that Christ died for all of those, like the um, the people he died for, he for sure saved. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, um, so the Arminian is that he died, died for all, but only some will come. And that, so he, he provided a provision for some to be saved, but the intent was that he died for all people, whereas the Calvinists would believe he died for those that he died for. It was a, right. it was a specific people but that is fully effective that the people that he died for will be saved yes and of course the the issue then is who gets to limit the atonement Mm -hmm. do do, does god limit the atonement or do i yep um and of course this gets back to adam your struggle with a lot of this Mm -hmm. in the fact that again the the point of 
most of Calvinist soteriology or theory of salvation is that it is focused on God having absolute sovereignty over who he saves. And dude, it's hard. I mean, even just for, I think in regular people, we want to have control. Right. Like, I want to have control over what I do with my day. I mean, yeah, there's things that happen. I mean, we all know when, if you have your day planned out and something comes along that throws off your day, it wasn't planned and you have no control over, it, it'll poison you. Yeah, and you absolutely absolutely feel that you are completely within your rights to demand the totality of a 24-hour period Mm -hmm. that you didn't create, you don't sustain, you you did nothing to start or end, but you have total rights to this 24-hour period. And if anybody causes any problem in that 24-hour period, my goodness, they're being unfair to you. Stop convicting me, Steve. Well, I'm actually just using a C.S. Lewis reference, but anyway. But yeah, even my kids, man, like if something goes along, my kids aren't listening or um, we're about to go outside and say Isaac, who's, you know, a year and a half, takes a massive poop in his diaper. Yep. Right? I mean, we could be frustrated as heck. If anyone has kids, you know what it's like to try and get your kids out of the door. And then if one of them poops, and it's super smelly. I mean, yeah, sorry for putting this on a podcast, but you know, it's... You, one of us has to stop then when you're frustrated, go and change the diaper. You just can't leave them sitting in it. And you're trying not to be angry at the kid because the kid's got poop, but then the other kid is screaming at you. And it's just, yeah, you feel completely justified for being angry or that you know, someone has wronged you. Like, right. yeah. Except the problem here is, and this, is, this, this goes back to it, we don't actually have the right to salvation. Mm-hmm. The atonement is, our, our atonement is not something we have a right to. It's something God has gifted us with. Mm-hmm. It is at best a privilege. All right, guys. So we're about 10 minutes in there. So let's, let's get into scripture. So can we show that scripture sh- supports a Calvinist view of the atonement, that it is limited to a specific group of people, and that it is, uh, as you said, Dave, uh, I'm blanking here. It's effective, you know, right to the end for them. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in in a lot of ways, too, as we kind of go to Scripture, I think one of the biggest questions we're probably hoping to, or or one of the biggest questions we're hoping to answer with this is how, we we mentioned that everybody limits the atonement. So we're thinking about and trying to answer the question, well, how is that limited? How do we see that in Scripture? Is it limited by the effect so did did he die for for all, but then only some come, meaning that it wasn't perfectly effective, or did he die for some and completely save some, and therefore it's limited in the atonement. It's limited in the um, extent or the intent, right? Mm-hmm. So it's limited. It's got to be either or. Um, so one one place I don't know where Steve is turning now. I've got Hebrews nine nine twelve open just as as one. I'm gonna go to Romans. Okay, cool. So. Um, yeah, yeah, Hebrews 9, 12, it says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood or of goats. Uh, sorry, I misread that. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. So this is talking about Christ. Mm-hmm. Thus, securing, thus securing, keyword there, an eternal redemption. So right there, you know, the, the connection of the blood, like by his own blood, by his act on the cross, securing eternal redemption. And again, that word securing, right? This is something that isn't ineffective. It right. is effective. It is secure. It is, you know, it's going to do what it's meant to do. And if we think about that too, in the, in the context of 
even other passages. I mean, I, I preached through the book of First John, and, and this is one that's funny, because I think a lot of people would actually use this passage to argue the opposite position. Um, but in First John 2, um, verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right? And they would use this whole world that, you know, he, he died for everybody. Um, but if, if you follow that through and think about what it means that he was the propitiation, I mean, right. the way that he's able to secure a redemption on the right. cross, like what Hebrews says about, it, is the fact that he, his death was a penal substitutionary death. Right. It was a death that he paid for the sins of, of us, <laughs> of, of those he, he wanted to save, of the elect. Um, and he, he did that in their place. He paid for the sins. And that word propitiation, again, this is why these, these words around the atonement are so important. The fact that he satisfied the wrath of God, that's what right. propitiation is. Mm -hmm. So he satisfied the wrath of God for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And if you're going to take that whole world sentence as every single person, I mean, then y your conclusion is universalism. Right. Or, or somehow God paid for everybody's sin but then somehow they're still not saved but i mean by essence of salvation and atonement right. what we think about if your if your sin is paid for and dealt with and you're redeemed and you can know god and you know you you receive christ's righteousness and you're saved mm -hmm. yeah. um so if, if you're not going to change the definition of salvation then if he took away if he appeased the wrath of god for the entire world then that would mean everybody is saved but the alternative is that he's not talking about every single person but um, for all, uh, a group that he has chosen. Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd actually go back to, and if, you're, you're, if you've been with, been with us for the first two of these, you're going to recognize this text because we've, we've been there before. This is Romans chapter 8. And again, uh, I'm going to start reading at 28, but I'm going to keep going because uh, I think it's important for us to recognize that there is actually a full reasoning here that, you know, we come to. Uh we, we some people would accuse Calvinists of being you know too beholden to logic, and which would be true if it wasn't for the fact that the logic itself seems to be in the Scripture itself. Mm -hmm. So like uh, Romans eight twenty eight, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to con be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You can skip back to uh, last week when we did unconditional election. Uh, and those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now just follow the chain here. Who? Uh, so let's go backwards. Who did he glorify? Well, all the people he justified. Who did he justify? All the people he called. Who did he call? All the people he predestined. So that tends to point in, there is no point in this chain mm -hmm. whereby, you know, we broke in or broke out to by our own works. This is all God's work. Even before that, I mean, the four knew. I mean, it's still God who's doing knowing right. right like it's exactly. there's, there's no work on our part at all right it's, it's all god's work and and salvation so if there are actually then no way for us to absent ourselves from the salvation which god purchased on the cross well then 
the other point of limitation, the other method by which the atonement would be limited, namely by choice or through faith or whatever thing you decide to choose for the reason by which God limits the atonement, is has been forestalled. It it, it then the only thing we have left is that God. Well, atones for those whom he wishes to save, and even going back to you know the words of Jesus himself in John ten, right? Right. I mean that, that's a big thing. John ten twenty five. You know, Jesus answered them, "I told you, and you do, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep." So Jesus is saying, "You're not one of my sheep, right? right? There's already a distinction there. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them; they follow me." I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And he goes on to say, I and, I and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is like, there are people, there are sheep, there are people who the Father has given me, and they know me, and to them, to them, I give eternal life. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly stated, but you are not one of my sheep. Mm-hmm. There's a clear clear distinction there where Jesus knows that there are people that the Father has given him for the purpose of salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's fully consistent with back in John, if you're going to stick in John, John cha- chapter 6, verse 44. You know, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So again, there's that connection of those who the Father draws, those specific people, yep. those are the ones who are going to be raised up on the last day. Those are the people who are going to be saved. And you can go further off in when Jesus is in the high priestly prayer talking to God, he puts it pretty pretty bluntly again. Um, the hours come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Mm-hmm. And this is eternal life, that they know you and the one only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's who who I gave uh, I gave them to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by being given, you will be saved. Yeah, and and another one, this is leaving John in a little bit, but um, I mean, if we want to connect this all specifically again back to the cross, you can go to Mark 10, 45. I know there's somewhere in Matthew, is it Matthew 11, Matthew 21? I'm not 100% sure where it is in Matthew, but I know it's there. Um, but anyways, Mark 10, 45, when Jesus says, For even the Son of Man, you know, himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and here, get this at the end, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right. Not all, but many. Many. And of course, uh, some people is, are going to come back at you with uh, John three sixteen, but I, I think that it's important then that we, that we look at John three sixteen. Absolutely, yep. Let's um, go. If I can get there quickly, I apologize. Race, race, race! I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Steve comes out on top. I I'm, think for God yeah. so loved oh. the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, the alternative view that to this would be to say that because of the way that we're saying that uh, that God is particularly redeeming, then we don't believe in John 3.16, except we totally do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him, we agree with that. Yep, whoever Except does believe in Jesus will be saved. Because, of course, the 
ability to have faith in Christ is a gift of God. Uh, so, of course, that's necessary. But God uh, And whoever does that will, will not perish but have eternal life. But God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the, in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, there's only two ways of reading this. Either that means that he saved the whole world, or he saved some seg- he, because he loved the world, he saved some segment of the world. And again, this doesn't mean that, you know, as Calvinists, that you don't go out and you don't witness to people. Exactly. Right? The gospel is preached to the whole world, but we're plainly told that only some will come to salvation. Not some will be many. There will be right. a, I mean, it's not going to be like just a handful of people in heaven with God. No. Throughout, you know, time, there is going to be a multitude of people who are saved to Christ for God's glory. But we're plainly told in the history shows and our own experience shows that not everyone is going to avail of that salvation. Absolutely. And of course, that availing of the salvation, again, the, the question here isn't that whether or not you avail of the salvation to be saved. The question is whether or not that you availing of the salvation is solely you doing stuff mm-hmm. or whether it's God doing stuff in you that makes you choose, choose him. And I mean that's where the difference difference lies, but I I, I do want to talk about that uh, evangelism piece too because it does keep coming up that we have to talk about that. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, it was a really good book by uh, J. I. Packard called "The Sovereignty of God in Evangelism," and he he actually points it out quite clearly, and I think it's it's clear pointed out clearly in the Bible. The reason that we uh, that that Calvinism actually leads to more people doing evangelism is because Brothers and sisters, the the efficacy of your evangelism is already set. Mm-hmm. When God says that he will use the means of his people preaching the good news to all flesh to save some, well, that means that if you follow through with what God tells you to do, you will be 100% effective, not on everyone, but all of the people that God has set for you to be effective in saving through him, you will be effective. Mm-hmm. So again, there's no reason for you to stop evangelism. There's no for- reason for you to not evangelize your brother and sister. There's no reason for you not to t- talk about them. Now, there are needs for you to be faithful in the midst of that, to mm-hmm. kind of you know deal with questions, to be ready to give an answer for the faith that is within you. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to ultimately be what moves people. What moves people is going to be the is going to be Jesus Christ Himself, God's work by His Holy Spirit through people themselves. And you don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to be effective, mm-hmm. because God's already promised that one. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing, Steve. And I think just just adding on to that too, we don't have to worry about it being effective. But the other thing that I think we should caution everybody to, if they're starting to think about this stuff, um, and perhaps even believing it themselves, is that we also don't need to like, as we evangelize, we shouldn't worry about who's the elect and who's not. We should never really have that mindset at all. So like, no, God has in His goodwill graces not told us which ones are saved and which ones aren't. So if you're like out there and you're thinking, well, man, that that must mean that evangelism then is like me trying to figure out like who is the secret like chosen pe- That's not right. That's at not all you. what we are saying. Nope. Um, and nor would any of us here nope. ever well, let that out or think save that, that way. I, or... Save that I would say that there is a test for by which you can tell who is saved and who isn't. If you tell them about Jesus, they come to saving faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. so the the test is go tell them about Jesus. And this is also, and I mean, again, I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but I mean, the the whole idea of of the totally effective atonement um, is that too. It, it leads to that assurance. Absolutely. Like if you have faith in Christ, mm-hmm. that's not like that. That's you know, he he did pay the penalty for your sin. It is finished. Right. Um, so that also leads us to, I think, have a beautiful assurance in the work of Christ on the cross. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's having that confidence of going nuts that I'm sharing the gospel, and I'm hoping that some of these people might make the choice. But not only that, okay, let's say they make the choice. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm believing this conditional election, if I'm believing that, you know, uh, people can choose God, you no, know, God's just forcing their faith, but they can fall away, then there's no guarantee that they're going to stay Christian either. Right. Right, so I, you know this can weigh on my mind, but if I'm believing that it's you know that we're totally depraved, that it's through God, God elects and God saves alone, and then that atonement is limited to the people that He has chosen, and it saves them to the uttermost, that I can go in full confidence. One, knowing it doesn't rest on me. Right. Two, knowing that anyone who does come to saving faith is saved to the uttermost. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. When Jesus said, "It is finished." He means is finished. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's on the other end, too. I mean, you do know, uh, I mean, most of us have had experiences of people who seem to be saved, often people that are mm-hmm. you know, fairly dear to us and who show no inkling of that now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the advantage of this entire situation is I I can, you know, yes, I do think that it needs means that we need to be a little bit uh, introspective. We need to make sure that we are loving God, that we are following through with what God is calling us to, that we have the kinds of affections that match uh, that match saving faith. But it also means that I don't particularly have to worry about other people's salvation. God is on that. That mm-hmm. is His deal. I will pray for them. I will try to be as open about the gospel as I can be to them. But ultimately, the salvation is not on me. And that's a that's a beautiful too application for for all of us as we're dealing with different people in our lives. Of you know, if if this really is all all on God, then what is what does that mean for us? Like, what do we have to do? And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that no matter where people are at. If we can just continually go back to the gospel, that's what we need to do to be faithful. Absolutely. If you're having that person, you're kind of doubting, like, I don't really know where this person's at. I mean, whether or not they aren't a Christian, or, or I should say this, if they are if they are not a Christian, then they need the gospel. And if they're a struggling Christian, then guess what? They need the gospel. Right. So the application, you know, that's that's what it is. Know the gospel, live out the gospel, preach the gospel. Amen. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and this series. Catch us again next week when we are going to move on to I for Irresistible Grace, which is one that I did struggle with. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.